Thank you, Jennifer. Good morning, everyone. It's good to be here. It's good to see all of you. I am so grateful to uh, have this opportunity to share God's Word, and it's always an honor. It's always a privilege uh, to be able to, uh, to have, this, uh, have this moment. Uh, I'm excited. I'm looking forward to our time together, um, and I believe that God has a Word for us. Um, and as Jennifer mentioned, Pastor Earl, unfortunately, uh, things were trending in the right direction, and all of a sudden they weren't. And so he had to make a tough choice. He had to make a tough call, and uh, I was that tough choice. So uh, you're 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 stuck. You're stuck with me, and I'm stuck with you. Um, any anything can happen when you give uh, the youth pastor the mic. So we'll we'll see how this goes. But yeah, I, uh, my name is Joel. I'm the youth pastor here. I also do our young adult, our, our young adult and college ministry at our church, um, and uh, it's always a, it's always a great time to um, uh, lead and work with and guide our youth in this crazy, wild world that they are living in. Um, so that's always uh, that's always a wonderful time. But I always look forward to this opportunity as well, uh, and we'll have a good time. Amen. Um, so maybe maybe it's just me, and uh, or maybe you can agree. Uh, but this year has felt like a crazy year. The last two and a half years, almost three years, have felt like a crazy time for us. And, uh, and I, think, I think most of us, um, we're all going through something. We're all carrying some type of weight or hurt or pain from these last few years. Um, and I think during this time, the world feels very frantic. The world feels very fearful. And uh, it also feels very unpredictable uh, now more than it ever has. And uh, I, think, I think for us as the church, I think most of us don't really want to burden other people with what we're going through. Um, I think most of us don't really want to bother other people. And by other people, I mean your brothers and sisters in Christ. And so I think during this time, it's been very easy for us to feel very isolated, and I think it's felt very easy to feel lonely, and we could be going through issues of work and faith, we could be going through issues of health, loss of a loved one, or even future security, our personal struggles, the list can go on and on. You add, you add all the things that are going on in the world on top of what we're going with as individuals, and it could get very overwhelming very quickly. And also, I don't know if you know this, and if you're aware, but it's election season. And some of us in a few weeks might be very excited, and some of us in a few weeks might be very disappointed. Time will tell. And so you add that onto everything that has happened over these last few years. And there is a lot hanging in the balance. And so us, as the church, we get involved and we join the conversation. We do our best to be good patriots and to be good Christians. But my question for you, church, today, this morning, is, is it possible for us as the church to lose sight? Thank you, Erwin. Is it, is it possible for us to lose focus and get so caught up that we forget who we are. And the better question is whose we are. So now, hear my heart. There's nothing wrong with wanting justice. 
There's nothing wrong with wanting social security and health care, proper and fair taxation. There's nothing wrong with wanting good job opportunities and and a solution to the student debt crisis. These are just some issues to name a few. But I believe this has consumed the hearts and minds of our nation. And I believe it's also consumed the hearts and minds of the people of God. We must, we must not forget where our hope comes from. And we must not forget we, where we should place our faith. And so we vote so we can have the best representatives in office. We would love for people to be in place that reflect our morals and our ideals. Hopefully people who have the best interests of others at heart. And so us as the church, we hope that through our democracy, things could get better. Things might get better, or they might not. But I'd like for us to know today and ask you is that did you know that it doesn't matter who wins? Because God is still on his throne. God is watching and he is moving with all power and all authority. Did you know that he knows the beginning to the end? Did you know that he is the beginning and he is the end? And nothing could happen that could catch him by surprise. Nothing has stumped him or caught him off guard. He is always moving and he is always working. And us as the church... We need to join him. So regardless of who may win, our Lord will always have the victory. Now, even with that said, we can't ignore the things that are happening. Even with that said, we can't be ignorant and inactive Christians who are just waiting for Christ's return. We can't just sit idly by as the world spirals into chaos. I believe we have a responsibility. I believe we have a responsibility to the world, to the church, and to the next generation. And these will be the three points that we'll cover in our message this morning. So, what do we do? What role do we play? What are we called to do as the people of God? What is the balance between being in the world, but not of it? How do we navigate these times And what is God asking us to do? Let's pray, and then let's dive into God's word. God, thank you for this morning. God, thank you for this opportunity. Thank you that your presence is here before any of us stepped stepped foot into this building. God, we thank you that you have a word prepared for us. God, I ask that you would open up our hearts and open up our ears, and I pray that you you would lead us and guide us in the direction that you have for us. God, I pray that you would Allow us to focus in. Give us the grace to receive what you are saying this morning. And Lord, may we hear the truth and may it set us free. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So the title of my message is Standing in the Gap. For anyone that might be taking notes, Standing in the Gap. It is a peculiar phrase, but it is one that I'll be referencing throughout the service. And so if you forget anything, if you forget everything that I've said, but if you remember this phrase, I think you'll be able to remember this message, standing in the gap. 
And this is not a phrase that I came up with, but it's something that we find in Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30 specifically. But we'll back up a few verses. We'll start at Ezekiel 22. We'll look at 23 all the way down to 30. And before we do that, I'd like to provide some context with what's happening. And so Ezekiel is an Old Testament prophet. And in this chapter, judgment is to come upon Israel. And Ezekiel has a word from the Lord for his people and for the leaders of Israel. It's, it's a tough word that God has for his people. But I, I'd like for us to hear the heart of God in what he is saying. Ezekiel, chapter 22, starting at verse 23. Again, a message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, give the people of Israel this message. In the day of my indignation, you will be like a polluted land, a land without rain. Your princes plot conspiracies just as lions stalk their prey. They devour innocent people, seizing treasures and extorting wealth. They make many widows in the land. Your priests have violated my instructions and defiled my holy things. They make no distinction between what is holy and what is not. And they do not teach my people the difference between what is ceremonially clean and unclean. They disregard my Sabbath days so that I am dishonored among them. Verse 27. Your leaders are like wolves who tear apart their victims. They, cas they actually destroy people's lives for money. And your prophets cover up for them by announcing false visions and making lying predictions. They say, my message is from the sovereign Lord when the Lord hasn't spoken a single word to them. Verse 29, even common people oppress the poor, rob the needy, and deprive foreigners of justice. We'll stop for a second. This is not looking good. Things are not going well. And this is the word that God has for the children of Israel. And I'd like for us to look at God's response at what he was saying in verse 30. The Lord says, I looked for someone who might rebuild the wall of righteousness that guards the land. And this is where we'll spend a lot of time this morning. And God says, I searched for someone to stand in the gap in the wall so I wouldn't have to destroy the land. But he says, I found no one. I found no one. It's a sobering passage. And it's a heavy passage. But this is what happened. So this is pretty messy. And there is a lot to unpack. Things are not going well in this particular time in the history of Israel. But I'd like to focus on verse 30. I want to focus on God's response to what he was seeing. I find it interesting that God's first reaction wasn't judgment. His first reaction wasn't necessarily to destroy, 
but he didn't want to destroy. I think he wanted to restore. I think he wanted to heal. I think he wanted to change what was happening in Israel. And we know that because God said, I searched for someone to stand in the gap. And I believe another way we can look at this phrase, in other words, is that I think God was saying that I was looking for someone to rise up. I was looking for someone to make things right. I believe God was saying I was looking for someone to restore righteousness. I believe God was looking for representatives of his heart and his character and for God to move through them, but he didn't find anybody. And so then the Lord concludes, I found no one. And so we look at the condition of our world today, and we question God's goodness, don't we? It's okay, we can be honest. We look at the difficulty that we face, and even the difficulties that our children will face, and it's easily, and it's, we can easily get discouraged. It can be just so disheartening, and we throw our arms in the air, and we look to God and say, God, where are you? God, do you not see what's happening? Why won't you do something? Where are you, God? And if you haven't had those thoughts yet, give it some time. In your Christian walk, you will have these questions come up. And so we look to God, and we ask, God, where are you? But I think the truth of the matter is, God is looking back at us, and he's asking his church the same question. He's saying, church, where are you? Do you not see what's happening? Why won't you do something? Where are you, church? Where are you, my people? So there's a lot of darkness around us, and there is a dying world who is depending on us to rise up and make things right. A world that is begging for someone to stand in the gap on their behalf. And so for my first point, is we stand for the world. We stand for the world. John 3.16 is probably the most popular passage, most of us know, most popular scripture. It's the verse that most of us, if not all of us, have memorized. And it so easily sums up the story of the gospel. For God so loved the world, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God so loved the world. This is the heart of God. This is his desire, and this is a reflection of who he is. Even though the world is mess, even though the world is chaotic, and the world may not know him, God so loved. When the world turns its back on him and wants to remove themselves far from him, God so loved. When the world persecutes and mocks his people, God so loved. When the world shakes their fists at him and dares him to show himself, God so loved. When the world wants to deny his goodness and even his existence, God so loved. And so I believe the response that he showed 
is the response that we are called to show. He showed the world love, and it was enough. We are not called to fix people. We are not called to clean anyone up. If we had the ability to clean and fix people, wouldn't we start with ourselves? The Lord does the fixing. The Lord does the healing and restoration. The Lord does the cleaning. We need to love the world and draw them to him and let him take care of the rest. The world is watching and the world is waiting for us to stand in the gap. The world is waiting for us to demonstrate the hope that we have in Jesus. Let the attractiveness of the gospel shine through your life. Let our lives reflect the goodness, kindness, and grace of God. Let us be careful when we condemn the world and want God's judgment and wrath poured out on all of those evil people outside of our four walls. Remember the difference between us and the world is God's grace. And if it wasn't for the goodness of God, where would we be? We all would still be lost. And the same grace that saved us is available for them. So before we judge the world, let's pray for them. Before we mock the world and condemn the world, let's love them. Because God so loved, and God thought that would be enough. My second point is we stand for each other. We stand for each other. You see, I believe the greatest asset that we have is one another. The greatest asset that we have is the church and this community that we have for encouragement and for building each other up, to confess when we are struggling and we can't go any further, to admit that we need help. I think this is a privilege that we have, being the body of Christ, is that we have each other. Let's look at Romans chapter 16, verses 3 all the way down to 14. Paul is concluding his letter to the church in Rome, and in his conclusion, I think he does something very interesting. There are a lot of things that he could have done to conclude this book and this chapter. And but what he did, I think, says a lot about who Paul is. And so Romans chapter 16, starting at verse 3, this is what Paul says. Give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in the ministry of Christ Jesus. In fact, they once risked their lives for me. I am thankful for them. And so are all the Gentile churches. Also give my greetings to the church that meets in their home. Greet my dear friend, Epinetus. He was the first person from the province of Asia to become a follower of Christ. Give my greetings to Mary, who has worked so hard for your benefit. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who are in prison with me. They are highly respected among the apostles and became followers of Christ before I did. Greet Ampliatus, my friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachys, and greet Apelles. 
a good man whom Christ approves. And give my greetings to the believers from the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. I'm going to stop there. That's about halfway through this passage. We can sense a theme of what Paul is doing. You see, Paul is writing a letter to the church in Rome, and he takes time to mention all of these individuals that were instrumental in his journey. He mentions all of these people that aided him in the ministry, those who helped him on his journey and stood in the gap on behalf of Paul. These are the people who showed their support, and these were the people who were a vital community in Paul's life. And if the Apostle Paul had a community of believers that he relied on, what makes us think that we can live without a community? These were the people who sacrificed for the sake of the gospel. And Paul takes time to acknowledge them as he can remember them. And if you read the whole passage, he took time to name 24 different people by their name. And he says, tell all of these people thank you for what they did for me. Tell all of these people thank you for what they sacrificed on behalf of the work of the Lord. And they played a significant role in his life. And I believe that we all have a significant role to play in each other's lives. You see, it's not enough for us to come to church week in, week out, fulfill our religious duties and go on about our day. We are meant to live life together. We are meant to stand in the gap for one another, especially when we can't stand for ourselves. There's too much at stake and this life that we live comes with a lot of burdens and a lot of weight and a lot of sacrifice. And if anyone who thinks being a follower of Jesus is easy, I don't believe that they've truly experienced it. Because this life does come with hardship. And so we go through problems like anybody else. But the difference is that we have the body of Christ for support. And how can we support one another if we don't make it a priority to come together? How can we stand for one another if we aren't together worshiping and praying for one another? How can we be a part of somebody else's journey when we never step outside of what might feel comfortable? And look, I get it. I've been in church my whole life. I understand church is weird and it could be awkward. Some of you really look forward to the meet and greet time, and you're, you can't wait to say hi and shake hands. And some of us, not so much. We're a little shy, and that's okay. And sure, we might offend somebody, and sure, we might even find ourselves being offended too. That is a part of life, and that is a part of what it means to be a community. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, this is all we got. Take a look around you, because this is what you got. And we got to make it work, because this is what we are called to. And so coming to church is not just about your own spiritual growth. It is about growing together in unity as one body and one mind. And I understand things come up, and we aren't able to be here every week, and I understand that. But I believe that it is God's will for us to be together and to grow together. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. 
the author of Hebrews says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Church, in the world that we live in, we cannot afford to not stand together. There are too many things that are dividing us, and we cannot afford to let certain disputes get in the way of the church's mission. So I urge you to stand for each other, stand for one another, uphold and uplift one another in prayer. There is too much at stake, and the enemy is working overtime to destroy the mission of the church. So let us watch and let us be aware of the things that are happening around us. And let us not be ignorant to the schemes of the enemy. Amen? Lastly, my third point, here we go. We stand for those coming after. We stand for those coming after. We'll look at Titus chapter 2, verses 6 through 7. And it says, in the same way, encourage the young men or women to live wisely. And you yourself must be an example to them by doing good works of every kind. Let everything you do reflect the integrity and seriousness of your teaching. Let everything you do reflect the integrity and seriousness of of your teaching. It's not enough. It, it's not enough for us just to teach them, them as in the younger generation and those who are coming after us. It's not enough just for us to teach them what's right and wrong or teach them verses and biblical truths. Hear me out. It's not enough just for us to teach it, but they need to see it from us. They need to see our lives reflect and resemble the teaching that is coming out of our mouths. The generation coming after us, they need to see our faith in action and for it to match what we are telling them to do. Why would they do what we are willing not to do? In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, I think Paul really gets this idea. And Paul says, and you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. It isn't just listen to what I told you, but do what I showed you. Amen? Because I believe there's a generation coming after us who is depending on us to do our part whose lives and future hang in the balance. They need strong guidance, and they need prayer. I know these things because I'm with them every single week. I've been doing youth ministry for over 10 years. It's a long time. They keep you young, and they age you just a little bit. I believe that this younger generation, they need an older generation 
who has seen the goodness of God to walk alongside them and let them know that everything will be okay. They need someone to stand in the gap for them. If 50 years from now, the church isn't as strong as it is today, it won't be because of technology and it won't be because of social media. If 50 years from now, the church isn't what it was meant to be, it won't be because kids are entitled or that they're lazy. It won't be because God didn't show up. It will be because we didn't do our part. The next generation is waiting for the church to practice what they've been preaching. Not just have the gospel shouted at them, but the gospel shown to them. The greatest thing that we can do for our children is give them an example to follow. And in all my years of working with them, this is what I truly believe in my heart of hearts. They aren't impressed by how loud we pray and how high we can lift our hands. They aren't impressed by miracles and prophecy and moments of spiritual brilliance. They want to see our lives live out this faith on a, on a daily basis. Whatever they watch us do, they will mimic. And I believe we have an opportunity to stand in the gap for our young people and make a difference in their lives. The current choices that we make, they have the potential to touch generations after us. And I think this is the power of an example. Generations are counting on us. So this is a tall task for us to stand for the world, to stand for each other, and to stand for those coming after us. The good news is God is with us. And if he is for us, who can be against us? And so this is our responsibility, and we must rise to the occasion God is calling us to. We must answer the call that God has on our lives. And I believe God is looking at his church today in the world, and especially within our country. He is looking for somebody to stand in the gap. And let it not be said that he didn't find anybody. Let it not be said that he found no one. May we answer that call. And may he give us the grace and the strength to do so. Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. God, thank you for the call that you have for us. God, would you give us strength? God, would you give us boldness? God, would you allow us to answer the call that you had for your people? God, that as you look around the world and you are watching and you are moving and you, and you, need, you need individuals that will stand in the gap. You want individuals that will stand in the gap. God, we answer that call this morning. God, we answer the call that you would use us, you would move through us. God, that we would be representatives of your goodness, of your justice, of your kindness in the world that we are living in. And so, Lord, as we are looking, as we are asking, Lord, where are you? You're looking at us saying, where are you? And so, Lord, we say this morning, here we are, or here I am. And so help us to be strong and help us to be bold and help us in our moments of discouragement, doubt, and frustration. As we look at the world around us, 
would you give us hope that you have the final say? And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you, um, would you just affirm this good word one more time? Didn't he? Wow. Wow. Listen, this had such great thought content. And I